Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Pashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestian Echo. The Entolamaginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On Wednesday of this week, at the age of just 23, Ashing Murphy was violently and fatally assaulted while out for a run in Tullamore, County Offaly. The whole country is numb today. We're we're talking and thinking about Ashling and her family. We think of the little school kids uh, who are missing their teacher. Um, We're thinking of her siblings who are missing their baby sister. Um, It's a tough day for people who knew Ashling, and it's a tough day for the country to get their heads around such a random attack. So with vigils planned around the country to remember Ashling Murphy, the Indo-Daily is going to take a look at uh, what has happened and how we can help the women of Ireland feel safe. Conor Fian. Irish Independent News Correspondent. You spoke with Ashling's family for the newspaper. Can you talk to me about that? Yes, um, obviously, uh, look, um, there was a lot of feeling in, in Tullamore um, yesterday when, when I was here and I'm back again now. And there was a lot of feeling um, for uh, Ashling's family um, and people were perplexed as to how uh, a girl who was going jogging along a canal path in broad daylight could have her life taken in such a mm. violent and in- inexplicable fashion. So the feeling around the town was high. So I approached um, I approached Ashling's family to see if if they did want to say anything to in in her memory. Uh, and um, certainly the way they described their their daughter, their youngest daughter. The girl they call the the baby of the family and a little angel. Um, it it was it was heartbreaking to hear uh, them having to talk about Ashling in the past tense. Um, they were they were just getting used to the idea themselves that that she wasn't going to be coming home. And you know, in in, in any situation where you're talking to a family, uh, it's it's important to just listen. And what I found was. A girl who certainly had, as her father Raymond told me, 
packed an awful lot into her short life. Uh, this was a girl who just seemed to be so vibrant, full of energy and full of optimism and full of drive. And she was going about her life, just starting off in her career as a teacher, a young woman after qualifying in her kind of first teaching job in a school not too far away. She could still live at home. So she had her family home still and she was embarking on her, her life as a teacher. Uh, and on top of that, then, like, that's busy enough. That will keep any any girl her age uh, busy for long enough. When I heard then Raymond and Kathleen, uh, her parents, explaining to me how she was so into sport and music as well, on top of her, her job and, and her busy life, it just painted a picture of a young woman with everything to live for and her whole life ahead of her. And not only a woman who was enjoying and, and sort of taking from life, I suppose you want to put it that way, but also somebody who was teaching. She was a mentor in her sports clubs. She was teaching music. She was an accomplished musician and she was spreading that knowledge to a wider group of people so that, so that music could live on. Uh, it, it was remarkable to hear how she involved herself so much in the community and was a, a very giving person. certainly comes across from um, when you speak with the family in your previous articles um, on Ashling Connor, just how loved and special this lady was, you know, and and uh, what really shook me was um, the last thing she said to her mom before going out that morning, mom, I love you. I mean, it's so devastating. The whole thing is so difficult to get your head around. Yeah, and as you say, from from everywhere, that that love was from everywhere. And it seems any any sphere of life she involved herself in, um, that was certainly the feeling that was coming back, you know, that that she was so immersed in everything. And, you know, people can lead very public lives. And I suppose entertainment and music is a very... um, it's a very public sphere of expression and uh, something that obviously Ashling and her family enjoyed. Uh, she comes from a very musical background. Both her parents accomplished musicians, other members of the family accomplished musicians as well. And, you know, to see that is, is one thing. But then also you get an insight into Ashling, the, the, the more private uh, person as well. And just her mom telling me that about how she'd say that in the morning going out, Mom, I love you. You know, it's it 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 gives uh, an insight into into the, the the more private person, I suppose, that Ashling was too. But that mirrored her her life uh, that others would have seen too, and it was just generosity and um, and love, basically. And you're there in uh, Tullamore at the moment, as as I speak with you, Connor. And obviously, the 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 community is completely numb. In fact, the entire country as a whole is completely numb. There's vigils now planned to remember Ashling, aren't there? I've just come out from talking to some people uh, in in the shopping centre here, the Bridge Shopping Centre, a very popular shopping centre in the town. And the uh, the management there have set up a table with books of condolence on it. Um, at the school in Duro National School where Ashling taught, um, there's shrines set up to her. And as you say, look, there has been vigils already, I think. And you just get a sense that this is a a crime that hasn't only knocked Tullamore 
uh, or the county of Offaly, but it certainly goes nationwide. And that expression um, of um, fear, I suppose, uh, or just um, being anxious, uh, and, and you know, many many women have have expressed that. Uh, through the media over over the last few days since this incident happened, um, that it should not be a feeling that that any woman in 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 the modern world should have to to carry or worry about, and that is certainly um, a, a debate that will continue and and will be a talking point in in the coming weeks and months, and um, I think everybody here at the moment in Tullamore is just anxious that that the person that did this is caught. There was a person in custody, and I think, and from talking to people here, they have said that they did. It was the only, uh, the only saving grace from all of this was that somebody was in custody, and people felt, well, okay, this investigation is moving along in a very definite direction. But then, when that person was released, and uh, we were told that they are not a suspect any longer, that they they are not involved in Ashling's death, the question then on everyone's lips is, well, who is it then? We have been walking around with some sense of security that there had been an arrest. And then all of a sudden, people discover that the person who did this uh, has been at large all along, ever, ever since Wednesday afternoon. Liz Carney, Features Editor at the Irish Independent. Ashling was just going for a run, Liz. It's as simple as that. I mean, what can we say? Well, it's just such a tragedy. And I think that is what really has has made everybody just so horrified at this. It is such an ordinary thing to do, um, something that we would do every day. You go for an afternoon run, we go for an afternoon walk. She was running in broad daylight in a place, as I understand, that would be like pretty pretty busy, pretty populated by people out walking, jogging, walking their dogs. And for this to have happened in broad daylight in a town like Tullamore, um, where I I, I, where people would would know a lot of people in the locality. It's not a it's not a very busy urban setting. It's it's a beauty spot. She was enjoying a lovely afternoon, having finished her working day with her first class. I mean, it is it is beyond belief. And once again, shines a light on this issue of safety for women. Uh, you know, and 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 I'm so sorry to say that it it crops up time and again, Liz, when we have a. Uh, horrific incident like what's happened to Ashling, um, and we all start talking about safety for women again it, it, sh- it shouldn't be as a result of these terrible terrible incidents should it? No it should be it should be far further up the agenda than it is. Unfortunately, I think the issue of violence against women um, is something that does fall down the agenda until we have these these horrific cases. but the point about them is something like Ashling being being so violently assaulted and killed, everybody then comes out and tells their own stories. And we realise that while we might, on the one hand, think these um, things are very rare and it is so unusual and you are so unlikely to be randomly insulted, in fact, what we find that when women start speaking out in the wake of something like this is that almost every woman has some kind of a story. And certainly many, many women live their lives in a state of hypervigilance around 
where they go, what they do, how they exercise. And that's very normal for us. So it is very unfortunate that it takes a, a terrible tragedy like what has befallen Ashley to make us talk about these things. But in fact, they are ever present in women's lives day in, day out. And I think we just assimilate the, the threat level, if you like, into our daily lives all the time. This is something we would talk about at home. My husband would frequently go for a jog in the evening. You know, we get dark five o'clock at half five. He would frequently go for a jog in the evening or a walk in the evening to clear his head after the, a long day at his desk. I wouldn't dream of doing that. Um, certainly in the winter months when it's dark and I would be thinking, gosh, I can't wait now for spring when the lighter evenings, I can go for a walk back around the seafront. You know, I would very happily do it in the in the lighter evenings. But that, that is something that impacts my life on a day to day level. But I, I just sort of accept it as part of the way things are. And I think when things like this happen, I think we we find ourselves asking ourselves, why do we have to accept that? Why do we have to accept that the, the spaces around us are not our own? Why do we have to accept that we are not free to go at you know we, we live in a beautiful country and um, why are we not free to enjoy every part of it without fear but unfortunately we're not it's it's the crossing the road syndrome liz that has become the norm for for myself and so many women i actually carry a weighted torch with me when i do my walks at night now i'm i'm walking in dublin and there's you know there's street lights everywhere but i'm still i'm still nervous i'll still cross a road if there's a man behind me you know i might take a different route if if i get a gut feeling not to, not to go a certain way it's you know it's, it, it is something that we all live with I, I, we've heard stories this week of, you know, women, I think it's very common, women would go running with their keys in their hand. People would, uh, you know, uh, would carry, like, and I don't know, do people still do this, but carrying, you, you have stories of people carrying sprays, things like that. Certainly, um, I would always feel that I would have eyes in the back of my head if I was walking around after dark. And mm-hmm. I think we're all very conscious of, of that. But I think we all have our stories to tell, don't we? We do. And I think the reason, as you've said, you maybe consider yourself very lucky that you've never found yourself the victim of an assault. But we all take those kind of safety precautions because either we've unfortunately had the experience ourselves or we know very well somebody who has had that kind of an experience. So we just know we're all too aware how common those things are. I, a couple of years back, I was in Barcelona with a friend. We were walking home one evening, great high spirits. We were followed down the street by a guy who pushed us through a doorway and I will never forget the fear of that moment. Now, all he wanted, and I say this, you know, very fortunate, we, we were very, very lucky. All he wanted was our handbags. He, he tore my friend's handbag from around her neck and off he went. But there was this moment where we were standing in this little courtyard that he had pushed us into with a, a man who was well over six foot towering over us. And I, I remember this as clear as day. And I was thinking, if he has a weapon of any description, like we haven't, we haven't a hope. And you, there is, we, the vulnerability of that moment stays with you. And I think it never goes away. And I certainly personally, um, the older I get, the more, unfortunately, the more cautious I am around these things, because I think I have, I've had my own experiences now, and I've heard so many experiences for, from so many friends. And Siobhan, I, it seems to me to be a problem. Like I'm in my 40s, and I, it seems to me to be a problem that is just getting gradually worse, particularly in terms of... 
I would yeah. agree. Yeah. Particularly in terms of you, you hear the young, younger people who are, you know, out and about in their 20s and 30s. And I think this this sort of intimidation of women on the street seems to have become a much bigger problem over the last decade, at least. And uh, I, what whether or not that's linked to the rise in porn culture, whether or not that's linked to the rise in um, internet culture, what that's linked to, I'm I'm really not sure. But it does seem to be a problem that uh, this on-street sort of threat or this idea that you can kind of catcall or threaten women and uh, and you know that there will be no there will be no consequences seems to be uh, women in their twenties seem to have this experience almost all the time, and many of them have been describing those this week, and it's it's very upsetting to listen to. Liz, I think from our conversation today, it's very clear that for a lot of women, maybe even, you know, most women, um, the norm is to be prepared to expect the unexpected. The norm is to carry the keys in your hands, have the torch in your hand, the spray in your hand, whatever is going to make you feel that little bit safer. It's got to stop, hasn't it? Well, I think that's why so many people are gathering for the vigil, um, both in, in Dublin and across the country in Ashling's memory. There is a sense that this has to stop and that we have to do something as a society to make the streets and of our, of our towns and the rest of the country to make it safer for women and to end this idea that women should only be in certain places at certain times and to be so hypervigilant all the time. And I think whether or not that starts with educating boys, you know, through primary school and secondary school about respect and those kind of things and equality and there needs to be some sort of a shift. And I think people have been talking a lot this week about, you know, this okay, we've had a COVID pandemic for a couple of years, but we've been living in this pandemic of gender-based violence for for so many years before that and that we know as a country when we put our minds to it we can do uh, we can do a lot of positive things and I think what women are feeling frustrated by this week is there never seems to have been a very concerted effort at at um, you know the level of the authorities to come together and say okay what can we do to address this problem are there proper steps that we can take that we will uh, coordinate the steps between our education system between the criminal justice system between um, at, at a political level all those things need to come together and that we could have some sort of cohesive strategy towards reducing gender-based violence since 1996 I think according to Women's Aid 244 women have died violently in Ireland and the vast majority of them you know at the hand of, other, of, of men and I think it really is a question that at the moment particularly this week we cannot get away from. Well today's episode of the Indo Daily was presented and produced by myself Siobhan Maguire with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from independent.ie If you enjoy the Indo Daily don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. And let's play out now with Ashling.